Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Wednesday, March 14th. I'm Chris Erty. Today, we're looking back at the radical labor organizer behind International Women's Day. But first, the headlines. Florida is on the verge of becoming the 15th state to arm teachers after Governor Rick Scott signed a bill allowing school staff to undergo training to carry guns in the classroom. But while this notion may seem radical, at least 14 states already arm teachers. Another 16 states give local school boards the authority to decide whether school staff can carry guns, either explicitly or through legal loopholes. But officials say they didn't know of any instances of armed teachers in those 16 states. On Monday, Amnesty International reported that Myanmar's army is rapidly developing areas that had been Rohingya villages before they were burned to the ground in a brutal military crackdown. More than 700,000 Rohingya have been driven across the border to Bangladesh, and their former land is now being turned into military bases. And while Fashion Week tents have been packed up and the models sent home, one deeply entrenched industry trend shows no sign of stopping, fast fashion. This model of production has become one of the biggest sources of pollution in the world. According to a recent report, the textile industry emits more greenhouse gas emissions than international shipping and aviation combined. And the amount of waste that the industry generates, as well as how much water and resources it uses, is increasing. And now, here's the news you won't get anywhere else. International Women's Day was last Thursday, March 8th. It was celebrated in over 100 countries, spotlighting women's achievements and the continuing struggle for equality. But sometimes overlooked is the holiday's radical origins and the rabble-rousing activists who first instigated it. One of these women was Teresa Malkel, who rose from the sweatshops of early 20th century New York to become a game-changing campaigner for workers' rights. Here's Vice's Sophie Cases speaking with journalist Mary McGill on the story. International Women's Day was last Thursday, March 8th, and you looked into the holiday's origins and founder, Teresa Malkel. You explained that she arrived in the U.S. in 1891, and she was fleeing anti-Semitism in Russia. So where did she land when she got to the U.S., and what happened to her there? Well, she landed in New York And she found herself in the position that a lot of young immigrant women of her era found themselves in, which was having to provide for themselves as single women. One of the biggest employers of that time was the garment industry. And that's where Teresa found work. Um, But it was a very, very exploitative industry in that, just to give you an example of what workers would have been dealing with, 65-hour working weeks were not uncommon 
rising to 70, maybe even 80, depending on the season. Factories were dangerously overcrowded. Workers were expected to pay for their own sewing materials out of the little bit of wages that they made. And they were often locked into factories to prevent them taking breaks. So this idea of like ratcheting up productivity to absolutely inhumane levels. So it was a very, very difficult time to be a garment worker and it was on the shop floor in these sweatshop conditions that Teresa basically became a labor organizer. A historian you interviewed said that life itself radicalized Malcolm. Yes. I think that's a really great way of putting it. And I think it really speaks to the character of Therese and women like her in that they, I mean, can you imagine working that hard and then still finding the time to organize, to develop your political consciousness? Therese was also a writer. She began to chronicle the conditions facing garment workers. I, I mean, there's something to me when we talk about International Women's Day and its origins. I mean, it's just so inspiring. These women were incredible. What did her organizing actually look like? Can you paint us a picture? Well, one of the things that stands out because it kind of brings together a lot of what we remember her by is it brings together her writing, her journalism and her activism um, was the great, uh, what's called the Great Uprising of the 20,000. And it was the biggest women's strike that the world had seen up until that point. And it took place in 1909. And it was garment workers like Teresa and she wrote about it you know she she wrote about these strikes that were taking place in the streets and as she wrote about it she realized you know there's an incredible visual effect to see these women with their placards marching through the streets because it raises awareness of the conditions that they face when they go to work so it became a key way for kind of getting it into the public's mind getting it into broader channels the difficult conditions that these workers were facing so that was you know that, that that's one example of the many things that she did you know we talk about her as um like a key founder of what we now know as international women's day but she she did so much she did so much but that, that's a good example of one thing that she did And she also wrote for a socialist newspaper, correct? Yes, and that's exactly where she was writing about the struggles of the garment workers, uh, of where she began to see the potential for strikes to be used in a way that could change public opinion and could bring about real structural change in terms of laws and conditions for workers. Not only did she write for a socialist newspaper, but she actually wrote an entire book about the shirtwaist workers' conditions And this book came out just before the famous Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, where many women like Teresa, who were garment workers, were trapped in the building and died. How did the timing of her book affect her ability to make change? Well, I think it was just... It was it was there. She had written it the year before this terrible fire, the Triangle Shirtwaist fire had taken place. It remains to this day, just to give people an idea of the context and the significance of what happened there, it remains to this day one of the worst industrial disasters in, in US history. 146 people died, most of them women. And so the fact that Teresa had written this book about garment workers striking, just like the workers who died in the Shirtwaist fire, um, the year before it was still topical, but then, of course, an absolute tragedy like this, the book took on a new form. And between public outcry and the kinds of, you know, stories that Teresa had chronicled in her work, it became part of the movement for change that ultimately saw labor laws reformed, um, which is really something. 
So what is the actual origin of Women's Day, the precursor to what we now know as International Women's Day? How did it begin? That's a great question, because if you ask historians, if you look at the material, no one is no one can tie it down to an exact place or an exact time. What they do know is that what we now know as International Women's Day was celebrated in, in an official capacity for the first time in the U.S. But we do know that Teresa founded what was known as Women's Day, which is a precursor to what we now know as International Women's Day. And it was held in February 1909 in New York City. Um, An amazing crowd, 2,000 people turned out. They were not expecting that. And they listened as feminist women, as socialist women, basically outlined why equality was so important and why women's suffrage, which of course was a huge issue at the time, was so important. So we do know that Teresa, in her capacity, she was working as part of the women's wing of the Socialist Party of America at that time. It was her suggestion that put Women's Day in place. And from Women's Day, many branches grew. Today, what's the legacy of Malkel's work? If we look at labor in the U.S. and the garment industry specifically, what do we see? Oh, that is, I think that is the most important lesson to take away for, from the work of Malkel and all the women of that era, because it was something I discussed with one of the academics I spoke to for this piece. And she made a great point. She said, conditions were difficult then, they are still difficult now. And what she was talking to was the difficulties that garment workers in the US and right around the world, most of whom are female, face to this day. We've seen an explosion in the garment industry worldwide and in the number of people working for the garment industry over the last 20 years or so. But simultaneously, we've seen the rights fought for by women like Trace have been systematically rolled back on in the US and elsewhere. So in a lot of ways, what the garment workers were fighting for, what the original founders of International Women's Day were fighting for, remain to this day as relevant as ever. And so when we celebrate International Women's Day, sometimes it can be a bit of a bit of a lifestyle feminism thing, a bit of a go-girl thing. And, you know, that has its place. But we should remember that these women were working women. They were working class women. They were emigrant women. They were fighting for the right to feed their families. They were fighting for the right to work. They were deeply political. The origins of the day is deeply political. It's about pushing back against structural oppression. Um, And I think that we would do well to remember that every day, but particularly on International Women's Day. And some of the changes that labor organizers like Malcolm fought for at the time were things like weekends and sick time, overtime pay, which now, years later, we're actually seeing rolled back and the conditions are looking more and more like they did at the time of Malcolm, Exactly. And, you, you know, when you look at, at what Teresa realized and what a lot of the women that she would have fought alongside realized in order to get those rights is that women had to stand together. If you want to, you know, um, bring in rules around your working regulations in terms of maximum maximum hours, having your weekends off, pension rights, sick leave rights, all of these things. Women need to stand together, but also fundamentally, they need to back up that solidarity with action. Sometimes we kind of 
don't realize that our world is structured the way it is because of the people who came before us who demanded that we should have days off, who demanded that, you know, if somebody gets sick, then that doesn't mean that they are out on the rear. You know, they, they, they can still have a job to return to. They can still look, be looked after when they're sick because as a worker, they should be entitled to these things. You know, the, all of these rights had to be fought for. And again, that's what we see in, in the garment workers, the women of the garment workers, back in New York in the early part of the 20th century. They were radical. They, they were radical at that time. In so many ways, they still remain radical because as long as those rights are under threat, those who defend them will find themselves up against a system that, you know, wants to make as much money as possible. Um, and part of that, of course, is uh, not treating workers in the way that they should be treated. Another smaller legacy, but still really interesting, is the phrase, which is now very famous, women's rights are human rights. And a lot of people attribute that phrase to Hillary Clinton, actually. But in your article, you talk about how Teresa expressed that exact sentiment in one of her writings. Can you read her words? So this is from a 1909 essay entitled um, The Woman Question. And she wrote, the woman question is nothing more or less than a question of human rights. That the emancipation of woman means, in reality, the emancipation of the human being within her. So there she is, long before Hillary Clinton ever made the refrain famous, drawing the connection between women's liberation and human rights. So if she worked so hard as an organizer and affected so much real change and was really a formative figure in labor organizing in the early 1900s, then why don't people know about her? That is a great question. Um, and I think to answer it, you probably need to take a step back and ask that question about so many women across time and across history. I certainly know in my work, I, I love looking at histories of forgotten women and writing about them. And over and over again, you encounter stories like, like Trazes and you just go, how? How do we not know? These, these are so inspiring. I think it probably speaks to who gets to write history and who gets to emphasize what histories are known and, and celebrated and the way that that can exclude a lot of women and a lot of um, people from minorities as well. But I think there is a growing awareness, partly because of the resurgence of feminism, about our histories and about the people who we have overlooked and who deserve to be returned to and celebrated. And Therese is definitely one of those people. Well, thank you so much for covering her. I am inspired by her story, and I'm so glad that she's getting the attention that she is from your article and now hopefully from this podcast. If you could say what you wanted your readers to take away from this piece, what would it be? I would like readers to take away the following. Um, it's a quote from the piece, and it comes from one of the academics that I spoke to, Deborah Steinstra. And she said the following when I asked her a very similar question about what can we learn today from those amazing women of the garment workers era. And she said, I think the most important lesson is to work together for change. We are stronger together. A single voice isn't enough. We need to stand together and to be consistent over time and resist and fight against oppression and fight for others who don't have the same access to that collective power. And that, I think, is the most important thing of all. To read the full article, go to broadly.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to Right Now.